about a year ago, uh, my sister-in-law was, was staying with us, and she wanted to watch a movie, and she picked Thor Ragnarok, which is great. I, I like that movie. My wife likes that movie. It, awesome, right? Wrong. Uh, we quickly found out that this was not the movie for my sister-in-law because we started it, and then she'd be like, who's Loki? Or um, when does Captain America show up? A and we learned that day that there are prerequisites. There are things that you just, you just need to know before you watch Thor Ragnarok. And it turns out that there are prerequisites to the conversation that we're having as well. We're having a conversation about, you know, we believe. Now what are we supposed to do? But, but if we don't have this prerequisite, if we don't have a, a firm grasp on the fact that we are saved by grace and that, that nothing we do before or after our salvation contributes to making us acceptable to God, then we're going to come to some wrong conclusions about what we're supposed to do after we believe. And so if you weren't with us last week, um, go check out our podcast, listen to our, our talk from last week to help fill in some of the, the, the gaps on this prerequisite. But, but here's the gist. You have to know that what makes you acceptable to God is not your efforts to be good, but Jesus' own acceptableness, which he shares with you when you believe in him. You have to have that in mind, otherwise this conversation is going to go sideways. But that raises an important question. Why have this conversation at all? If we are saved by grace alone, if Jesus has, has made us acceptable to God, why have a conversation about what we're supposed to do after we believe? Because it's a question that you should and you will inevitably ask. What are you supposed to do between the moment you accept Jesus as your Savior and King and the moment you die? Hopefully for all of you, that's at least 60 years. But what are you supposed to do with those 60 years? Are you supposed to try not to sin as much? Are you supposed to try to convince a couple of people to believe the same way you do? We believe. Now what? And the answer is this big word called sanctification. Uh, and, and sanctification just means to be set apart or to be holy. And practically speaking, when people in the church use sanctification, they normally are using it kind of like code for you need to follow the rules. Uh, and that should frustrate you a little bit. Uh, th think about it. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God by following the rules we talked about last week. And so we trust in Jesus as our Savior to make us acceptable to God. And now we are expected to follow all the rules that we couldn't follow before. Right? That, that doesn't add up. And that's because it's not right. So tonight we're going to lay the groundwork for talking about sanctification. We're going to look at, at what it is and who makes it happen. And so let's, let's flesh out what sanctification is. A and that's actually trickier than just giving you guys a, a simple definition. Uh, because the Bible actually speaks about sanctification in two different ways. Uh, and you need to have both parts, otherwise you will misunderstand what we're being called to do. So first, Scripture says that we are definitively sanctified. And that's just a fancy way of saying that, that you are holy, right? Every Christian is sanctified. Every Christian is holy. It's part of the package deal of salvation. And we need to camp here for a second because we sometimes think that salvation is like a build-your-own-burger, right? So everyone has the same base, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. 
but then you kind of get to choose your extra toppings, right? Like, do you want to be a loved child of God? Yeah, I'll add that. That's like adding cheese to a burger or bacon to a burger. Do you want to be holy and, and war against your sin? Nah, that sounds too spicy for me. That's like lettuce. I'm, I'm not about that, but I'm sure someone else is. The problem, though, is we can't pick and choose what elements we want in salvation because salvation is not a sandwich. Salvation is a marriage. See, when you get married to someone, you get them and all their stuff, right? If you marry a millionaire, you get all their money. If you marry someone who owns 20 cats, congratulations, you now own 20 cats. Uh, but the great thing about Jesus and being united to him is that he brings only good things to the relationship. First uh, Corinthians 1.30 puts it like this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And, and so if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are holy. This is why several times in the Bible, Christians are referred to as saints, which just means holy ones. Uh, in the, it's done. It's in the past tense. They have already been set apart. They are already holy. But there's another way that the Bible speaks about our sanctification, another fancy term, progressive sanctification. In other words, it is something that you become. You, you grow into it. And this is where we can talk about the rules in the Bible a little bit. Sometimes when we read the Bible and we see the commands, the rules, we think they're rather arbitrary, that they're just kind of isolated and stuck in there to mess with our fun and our freedom. Um, but they're actually descriptors of who we now are in Jesus. See, the rules in Scripture are never about behavior. They're always identity issues. Here's an example. Uh, Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there were apparently some people in the churches at Rome uh, who, who thought, well, because I'm saved by grace, and because God showing grace brings some glory, well, then I should just keep sinning so that he can keep showing grace and getting glory. And that is incredibly wrong on a number of levels. But what I want you to notice is why Paul says it's wrong. Notice that Paul doesn't say, well, by no means, Christians should keep the rules now. No, he in effect says, by no means, you have failed to understand who you are now. Part of our identity is that we have died to sin. We no longer do that. We are identified with Christ in his death and his life, which means sin no longer has power over us. It's an identity issue. And so sanctification is something that we are, but it also means that we are becoming who we are. Are becoming. You have to hold those two in tension. And that is quite a task. And so the other question is, okay, so who accomplishes this task? Who brings this sanctification about? And there's a couple of different answers we could stick in here. One possibility 
is that we are the ones who bring about this change, that we are the ones who clean up our act. With determination and, and perspiration, we can make ourselves into better people. And if you spent any time in the church, you know that's not true. You would condemn that. But I think it's actually more popular among us than we think. See, when we face uh, a temptation, uh, a bad choice, we'll often leverage our willpower. We'll say, mm, I'm not supposed to do this anymore. And, you know, if we need a boost, we might think about Jesus or, or pray one of those, please help me not do this prayers. And while this will work occasionally, uh, eventually you will come across something that you really want to do and you really shouldn't, and you will fail. And the reason for that is because the power behind our sanctification is not us, it's God. Paul puts it like this in his letter to the churches in Philippi in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the one who justifies us, who gets the ball rolling, and he sanctifies us. He, he carries it to its completion. But, but there is also a danger to avoid here, and, and that is to swing too far the other way to say that God is solely responsible for our sanctification, which means we just sit back and kind of do nothing. Because that's wrong, too. Uh, I, I, I want you to imagine, um, I want you to imagine that, that uh, someone you know, a Christian, uh, just has a big sin issue, right? They are a habitual gossiper. They just can't stop talking about uh, other people, or they, they, they lie all the time, and you find out about this, and you, you go and, and you say, hey, why are you acting this way? Wh what are you doing about this? And they said to you, well, I'm not doing anything about it. It's not my responsibility. God is the one who makes me holy. I'm just waiting for him to change me, and he hasn't done so yet, so I guess I'm good. And I hope you hear how ridiculous that is. But that is often how we live. We open up our Bibles, and we see what a person who is wholly committed to Jesus is like. The Bible is pretty straightforward on that stuff. Uh, it, it's pretty straightforward on what is expected of us. But we either don't want it to happen, or we sit back and say, well, God will do that eventually in my life. But I guess right now I'm fine. And that's like saying, well, um, that would be like me personally saying, well, my metabolism hasn't slowed down yet, so I guess I'll just keep eating as many cups of ice cream as I can. That's silly. Uh, see, here's what, I'm, here's what I'm trying to help us see. Sanctification is a joint endeavor. It's a partnership between us and God. Paul spells that out in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice that it is God who, who's doing the work in our lives. He's the one that's bringing about the change. He is the one making us into who we are in Christ. However, we have the responsibility and the privilege, really, uh, of working alongside of him to accomplish this. 
And this is a very delicate balance. It's very easy to fall off into thinking we do it or thinking that it's just God's responsibility. And, and the way that we walk that delicate line is this little clause right here, with fear and trembling. And that doesn't mean that, that we, we should live in constant terror of somehow slipping into moralism or fatalism or something like that. It means that we are moved, that we, we see what God has done for us uh, in Jesus, in his death, and his resurrection. We see how God is working in our life, and we delight in that. We, it, it moves us to, to work with him. It compels us to pursue our sanctification with him. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at some practical ways that we partner up with God to pursue sanctification. But for right now, I, I simply want to make sure that, that we have wrapped our mind around this idea of sanctification, that, that we are in Christ, that we are holy, but we are also partners with God to become who we are in Christ. Mm -hmm.